Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 46 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. I'm ever so grateful that you've decided to join me today. This episode is dropping on May 7th, and that's the day after I get back from CrimeCon. So I decided to make today's theme crime-related. Before we get to the phrases, I wanted to say that if you're enjoying the show and want some extra stuff, check out my Patreon page. Also, here's some more information about my upcoming three-part anniversary bonanza. I've had several pod pals of mine send in clips that I'll be building the episodes off of. There's going to be a wide variety of shows and genres represented, and it's going to be a ton of fun. I'll keep telling you more as we get closer, both here in the episodes and on Twitter and Facebook. Okay, let's get down to business. It's time to bust out today's phrases, origins, history, and more. The first phrase for today is stool pigeon. This means an informer or a snitch, but this hasn't always been the case. When this phrase first finds its way into the vernacular around the 1830s, it was used to describe someone who was used as a decoy in order for law enforcement to entice criminals into a trap. So it was basically just a way to say live bait. This is because of how some people hunt pigeons. The particular pigeon practice I'm referring to is one where the hunter attaches a pigeon to a stool to act as a decoy. Now, many people think the stool mentioned in this technique is really just a stump, not an actual stool, mainly because carrying a stool out into the woods doesn't make much sense when there's plenty of stuff to set the decoy on already out there. Another reason that some people think the stool wasn't really a stool is because of the old-timey times word for a stump. At least as far back as the 16th century, a stump was called a stole, spelled S-T-O-A-L-E, which is quite similar to the modern-day word stool. Also, the French word estal is thought to lend itself to this saying, and it's been around since at least the 15th century. An estal was a pigeon used to lure a hawk into a net. A stall pigeon is close to stool pigeon, both in the way they sound and what they mean. Pigeon has also been used since at least the 16th century to mean someone who lets themselves be tricked or swindled. So, pigeons have long been known as being associated with fooling, whether it was idiomatically fooling a person or literally fooling prey for a hunter. So why is it used today to mean an informer and not a decoy? No one seems to know exactly why it changed, but as for when, it had to be by at least August of 1851 because we find it in an article about Italy's political situation. The article was in the Sheboygan Mercury, a Sheboygan, Wisconsin newspaper, and it had the following quote, Everyone fears that his confederate may prove a traitor, and avoided as a police stool pigeon and spy. End quote. So, from hunting animals to hunting information, this one has a long history. Now, let's cook some books. Cooking the books means deliberately falsifying financial records. But what does the kitchen have to do with accounting? Well, technically nothing. 
This phrase comes from a meaning for cook that's different than creating edible food. The definition we need to focus on is one that has been around since at least the middle of the 17th century, which is to tamper with or manipulate. Using this definition, the idiom becomes pretty straightforward. You're tampering or manipulating the ledgers, or books. We know it's been used this way since at least the 17th century, because we find it in writing in 1636. Thomas Wentworth, an English statesman who was the first of three people to hold the title of Earl of Strafford, used a version of this phrase in his letters and dispatches. He wrote, quote, The proof was once clear. However, they have cooked it since. End quote. Nowadays, some people use the expression creative accounting instead of cooking the books, but this idiom has been around for a long time and is unlikely to die out anytime soon. Let's move on now and become Thick as Thieves. The meaning of Thick as Thieves is close friends. This is another phrase that relies on a secondary meaning of a word, and in this case, it's thick. Since at least the 18th century, thick has also been used to mean close allies. In 1781, Richard Twining, an English merchant and the director of the East India Company, wrote a memoir. In this, he wrote, quote, Mr. Pachacrati was at Spa. He and I were quite thick. We rode together frequently. He drank tea with me. End quote. So where did the thief part come in? No one seems to know for certain, but it had to have been done before 1833 because of a passage in The Parson's Daughter, written by Theodore Edward Hook, an English man of letters and a composer. He wrote, quote, She and my wife are as thick as thieves, as the proverb goes. They know each other's secrets and lay their heads together. They do all the mischief they can. End quote. First of all, let me just say it sounds like these women were just getting into trouble and having a good time. Anyway, since he used the phrasing of as the proverb goes, it most definitely was in use before then. However, the original version of this idiom was actually thick as two thieves, and this is important to figuring out why people began saying this. Basically, it means that criminals have to trust and confide in each other because they don't fit in with normal folks who don't break the law. Since the thieves in the saying need to stay close to each other to thrive, it has become a phrase used to describe people who get along really well. Now, let's go to the clink. To be in the clink is another way to say be in prison. The etymology of this one is pretty straightforward because it comes from an actual prison. The clink, spelled C-L-Y-N-K-E, was a prison on Clink Street, spelled C-L-I-N-K. It was located in Southwark, England, and was in operation from the 12th through 18th centuries. It was owned by the Bishop of Winchester, who kept all the revenue from the Liberty of Clink. A liberty was just an area where the regalian right had been revoked, and regalian right was the right of the monarch to receive the income from estates in the area. So a liberty always had a lord, in our case a bishop, who received these payments instead. Now, the leader of a liberty could throw people in prison for not making their payments. Therefore, lots of folks got thrown into this prison called the clink, and since it's one of the oldest prisons in England, its name became a slang for any prison. 
There's another factor that many people think that literal prisons lend to this phrase, and that's the clinking sound of chains dragging and metal doors clinking shut. Basically, there's a lot of clinking in prisons, so prisons are called the clink. It's most likely that both of these things, the prison called the clink, and the many clinking sounds found in prison, led to this idiom. Since there was an actual prison called the clink, there's not really a first use in writing idiomatically that I could find. This phrase has simple, literal origins. And since prisons still sound basically the same, it's unlikely that it will ever stop being used. So let's move on to today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's crime-tastic metaphor is a smoking gun. This is a phrase used to describe an object or fact that provides conclusive and indisputable proof that someone did something. Even so, an actual smoking gun would still be considered circumstantial proof. Say you heard a gunshot and walked in on someone holding an actual smoking gun while standing over a recently deceased person. You'd assume they did the deed because of the still-hot gun in their hands. However, they could have just picked up the gun after the fact. Even though a smoking gun is technically circumstantial evidence, it is considered to be the strongest form of circumstantial evidence because the person holding the smoking gun most likely pulled the trigger. We know exactly where this saying got its explosive start because it comes from Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. In The Adventures of Gloria Scott, which was written in 1893, Doyle said, quote, The chaplain stood with a smoking pistol in his hand. End quote. Since its first use in print was also its origin, there really isn't anything else to say about this one. So let's sneak on over to the book for today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, I've got the book here open to a section of quotes from Holman Francis Day. And this is from his work, The May Basket for Mabel Fry. It says, The purest affection the heart can hold is the honest love of a nine-year-old. Yeah, I guess I can get behind that. Kids do love pretty honestly. They can be brutally honest, though, too, so don't ask them something you don't want the answer to. Anyway... Thank you, Mr. Day, for today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 46. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. You can connect with me and fellow language lovers on Twitter and Facebook. Just look up Turn of Phrases on either site, or go to turnofphrases.com for links and more information. If you want to send me a message or topic suggestions, you can email me, which is brisky at turnofphrases.com, or use my website's contact form. My website also has details about all the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening today, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, 
Written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, don't break the law. Toodaloo. And now... This is... Let me rephrase. No one seems to know exactly why, but the switch had to be done by at least... Nope, I don't like that. In an article in the Sheboygan Mercury, <laughs> I messed up Mercury, but not Sheboygan. And avoid as a police stool pigeon and sp- nope. Miss, oh good grief, what is his name? Mister Pachacrati, Pat, Pac- uh, that's a lot of C's. Pachacrati, we'll go with that. So where did the part? Nope, <laughs> that's wrong. No one seems to know for certain, but it has to have been before 18, oh, my notes say 18353. <laughs> I think I have an extra number in there because that's not a year. But it had to have been done before the clink spelled C-L-Y-N-K-E. <laughs> Why did I go up on that? E? It was ran by the Bishop of, ooh, I just messed up that word. It was owned by the Bishop of Winchester, a title that, nope. And being one of the oldest prisons in England, thank you, Kelly, for shaking your head. Because there's a lot of clanking in prisons, oh, nope, that's not what I wrote. Since there was an actual prison in, nope, nope, nope. This phrase has simple, literal origins. Origins? <laughs> That sounds like something to do with fruit. This phrase has simple, literal origins. And since prisons... No, that sounds wrong. And since prisons are basically... No. So... Uh, <laughs> where was I? It is, however, considered to be the strongest... That's wrong. Even though it's considered to be... No.